Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. I'm excited about our guest today because she has had many encounters with angels, not just good angels, but a kind of bad angel in a way too, the death angel or a death spirit. You're going to want to hear the reason why that was there too. But I'm really excited to hear what she had to say. And on top of that, when she asked God, why does she see three footprints. It was her father and her siblings in heaven. She actually got to see her siblings in her father's feet dancing in heaven. You're going to want to hear that too. Sherry Moisau, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Sherry, let's start up with your childhood. How was your upbringing? Were your parents believers? Definitely. Um, I was raised in a very religious home. I was raised in Assembly of God, and I say religious, it was more religious than spiritual. <laughs> um, but at the age of six, I remember getting saved, and I remember being at the altar and dancing and just loving Jesus, and I got baptized at age six. And a couple of months later, I was still six years old, and I started being sexually abused. So the devil had a plan. It was by an older cousin. and started fondling at six and going further at age seven. And that does have some significance that I'll bring up later. It finally ended when I was almost eight years old. And there was one of my mom's friends actually caught him with his hand at my dress. Well, I assumed that my parents knew what happened then, you know, everything that had happened and they didn't, they thought that that was a one-time occurrence. So I grew up feeling unloved and betrayed and they actually brought this cousin to live with me when we were 11 you know so i just really felt um unworthy for sure and you know during this time it um the devil kept trying to kill me i fell out of a moving car when i was six my aunt had told me to stay in the car and i had gotten out and jumped back in when she came out, but I didn't shut the door all the way. So it flew open and I was holding on to the door and it was just dragging me and it put a little hole in my black patent shoes. <laughs> and then at age 10, I was almost run over. Um, I was run over by a car. It happened, it ran over my arm right here and my head was about right here. So double kept trying to kill me. And then at age 12, I went to um, youth camp and I got filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. Um, and then my dad became a youth pastor. And it was like I had two different lives. I could be this real social butterfly, happy-go-lucky kid, and then be in this total isolation and depression when I would go home. And so I was just... Then I became rebellious um, and married, you know, lost my virginity at 16. And I married that guy. In fact, I married him twice. <laughs> um, married and divorced, married and divorced. And we were partying all the time. We, you know, our marriage didn't have a chance. Um, but we had started drinking together. I was 17 was the first time I had done anything. And then smoking weed by 18. When I was 22 or 23 was the first time that I used meth crystal meth and I remember thinking this is it this is I'm finally normal this is what makes me feel like it was the first time that I ever felt normal I just want to talk about a few things you mentioned when you were a little child and you were being abused and your parents walked in 
Did you tell your parents what happened? No, there were threats and stuff. And, and I was convinced that he would kill my parents if I told them. So I never said a word and they didn't know until I was grown. And they heard me giving my testimony one time was the first time they knew what really happened. So what did your parents think was happening? They thought that because all the kids were in the TV room uh, watching TV and he had his hand at my skirt. And one of my mom's friends walked by and saw that. And they thought that was the only thing that had ever happened. Wow. I'm sorry. I didn't ask, um, but, you know, I, I don't know that I would have told them had they asked. Mm, yeah. And we were speaking about this earlier, how, you know, we just heard that you ended up on meth, but we were just talking about how it's so cliche, unfortunately, how the devil always goes after preacher's kids. Seems as yes. it never fails, but God's word is true where if you train your children the way they should go, just like the Bible says, it won't depart from them. And that's what happened to you. So I'll let you continue. All right. Yeah. So by okay. your twenties, you were in meth. Yes, I was um, on meth. And so I um, ended up moving from Arkansas to Washington. I was dating a guy that was in the air force and, you know, so I was able to stay clean for maybe a month. It would, but it was always, you know, my life would get out of control. So I'd move across the country to try to get it back together, which it didn't last very long. I was working at a, a club and I met my, um, what would become my husband and my, my children's dad. And he was in a band, uh, rock and roll star, you know, and I, we, you know, our drug addiction got worse and worse until one it was on a good Friday and all of a sudden my husband was in the middle of a rock and roll show and we had had some people from a Christian band that had been witnessing to him and he decided in the middle of the show that he wanted to be a Christian and he walked off the stage. That's good. <laughs> good news. Very good news. Yeah. So I went and chased him down and got him back up there because it was a show that we, that the band had paid to put on. So there was a lot at risk and you can't just walk off in the middle of <laughs> And so he got back up there and finished. So we got saved and I got pregnant. And so we moved to Dallas um, to be around my pa my parents and have the baby. And I was able to stay clean, not quite two years after ha having the baby and started using again. And Rocky was my oldest son. Whenever he was three years old, well, he was almost three years old. It was on New Year's Eve. We were having a New Year's Eve party for my little sister, who was much younger than me, for her and her friends. And one of her friends wanted to go call her dad and see if she could stay longer. So we didn't have a phone and then we didn't have cell phones. So we lived close to a bus stop. And I drove her over to this big, empty bus lot um, to use the pay phone. Well, it was really cold outside and I had Rocky with us. And it was when the cars had the old big bunch. Um, bench seats and had the little hump in the middle so he was sitting on the hump well her dad wanted to talk to me so I got out of the car and let the car door open well he started throwing a fit and kicked it in reverse well that car had a very high idle so it started going in reverse really really fast she almost caught up to it because she was closer to it I was on the phone and then the car door knocked her over 
Well, I look, I'm starting to chase it. And the only person I see is there's a black guy with a black dog walking across the parking lot. And I'm yelling at him, trying to get his attention. And I had a baseball bat in my hands because we were not in the best part of town. And I threw a baseball bat at him. And the noise, he turned around and started um, coming along with us. And the, the car was going straight up for a busy road. It was right at midnight on New Year's Eve. And immediately the car just made a U-turn and started coming another way. And so I was able to catch up to the car. In fact, I was almost inside of the car whenever it hit a bus, bus bench, which of course made it stop. The car door should have smashed me, but instead I landed in front of the car. Not really landed because I wasn't thrown, but I was just teleported, just supernatural. <laughs> Rocky, who had been in the front seat, throwing a fit, kicking his legs, carrying on, crying, was in the back seat and he was suspended in midair and he was giggling. And I was like, you okay? And he's like, my angel, my angel. There was an angel holding him in the air. He was completely fine. Well, the guy and his dog looked, you know, he looks at me and he says, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, is he okay? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay, good. And he starts walking off and he just disappeared. And it was a big open parking lot. And plus it was in Dallas, Texas. There's no trees. <laughs> and he just disappeared. It was like he walked into another plane. How in the world did the car do a U-turn and come right back to you? Almost like a boomerang. Yeah. It, well, the, that guy had to have something to do with it. And he was an angel. I know he was an angel. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So your son, he was two years old and he was giggling. So at first he was crying. He threw a fit. He put the car mm -hmm. into drive or reverse. And the next, you know, yeah. he's off driving or being driven <laughs> off someplace, does a U-turn and he's laughing now. He's giggling. Yes. And I'm sure you're panicking. And then he says, my angel was holding me. Yeah. Yeah, whenever, whenever the car hit the bus bench, I was like, are you okay? And he does this giggling and going, my angel, my angel. So I talked to him about it later and he said the angel was holding him and tickling him. Wow. So did he tell you what the angel looked like or did you ask him what the angel looked like? I don't guess I thought to, to ask him. Yeah. yeah. And so when he mentioned that, did you believe him? Oh, absolutely. Because I knew that I had seen an angel that protected me and made that car make a U-turn because he disappeared. And granted, I was using drugs, but the teenage girl that was with me also saw it. Wow. So I knew that I wasn't, you know, seeing things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like you said, someone, you had a witness with you. Wow. Right. So what happened after that? Okay, so you're still using while you have a family mm -hmm. and- right you're experiencing these miracles and God's grace is obviously on you because he's still blessing you and protecting your children uh, through all right. of this. And then what happens next? Well, so we're in Dallas still and um, we're trying to move back to Washington because, you know, geography get us away from drugs again. Um, and it was right at the time of the Oklahoma bombing and the picture of John Doe 2 looked just like my husband. So my husband actually had really long brown curly hair, but we were in Dallas and it was always hot. So he was always wearing it in a baseball hat. The drawing of John Doe 2 was a man in a baseball hat. He looked so much like him that my son would go up to the TV 
and point and go, daddy, daddy. So we live next door to my mom and dad and I'm at my mom and dad's house and, and Matt comes running over and he was like, you got to get over here. The FBI's there. And I'm laughing because we had teased him about it so much. And he was like, no, they have Rocky. And I was like, oh, snap. So we're running over there and there were six big FBI men and they were almost as tall as the ceiling. It was a small mobile home, but still they were huge and a little short redheaded FBI agent holding Rocky. Well, they had been following us for two weeks. They knew every place we had been. And that was back in the day whenever printers had that paper that connected. So they pulled out this big old long sheet of everywhere we had been. And we just thought we were high and imagining people following us, you know? <laughs> oh, so, okay. So you knew somebody was following you or you had an assumption someone was following you, but you just blew right. off. Right. And there was also a stripper's family that was following us. And we knew they were following us because they were trying, she was hanging out with us with her daughter and they were trying to get her. And so come to find out that we're both following us and we were staying in different motels because our air conditioner was broke at the house. They were both at all these different motels, which the FBI confirmed that. <laughs> and so they wouldn't let us move to Washington. They made us hang around. And I ended up going to jail um, because I was so paranoid and we were staying at different motels and my dad had called and said he was, my sister was with us and she was younger. He was coming to get us. So I went and dropped my husband and my son and my sister off at a Subway sandwich somewhere around Dallas, but I couldn't figure out how to get back to him. So I'm driving around trying to figure out where I'm at. I'm just, I'm too high to function at this point to know where, which way to go. Well, I run out of gas and I'm trying to walk to the gas station and these two Hispanic guys tell me they're going to kill me. Well, I get to the gas station and call the police and I always thought that was just something that was high, except for my grandfather in Arkansas, God showed him two guys threatening to kill me and he started interceding for me. So anyway, they thought I was crazy. Oh, well, well Sherry, I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned that your husband looked like suspect two from the Oklahoma bombings. That was in the nineties, mm -hmm. right? Early nineties. Why were you arrested though? So were they following you guys because your husband looked like him or were they following you because you guys, they were the drugs because, because he looked like them. And so they had already talked to us. So we weren't arrested for that, but they told us not to leave town. And we were trying to leave town. In fact, we had a rider truck reserved in our name for the day of the bombing and a rider truck was used in the bombing because we were trying to go back to Washington. So everything was stacked against you. That's so yeah. weird. How ironic that is. And the, the day of the bombing, I had a toothache. So neither one of us went to work. Matt Haynes stayed home with me and we watched the unfolding of it on TV. The only alibi we had was at 3.30 in the afternoon, a tornado was coming. And a neighbor came running over to tell us that a tornado was coming to go take cover because we lived in a mobile home. So you don't stay there. You go under the overpass or wherever you go. So they said that was plenty of time to go to Oklahoma, to fly to Oklahoma and back. You know, there was just so many things other than the fact we didn't know anything about bomb making or anything, you know. And after following us for that amount of time, I mean, they could tell we were just drug addicts and we were messed up. But nevertheless, there were so many things that were saying that was us. 
you know. So, but the reason I got arrested was um, because I had run out of gas and I had called the police. Well, whenever the police got there, the Hispanic guys weren't there. And they just, I was high, but I had some um, hot checks. So they arrested me on, I had a warrant out for a hot check. Mm. And they took me to jail and they put me on the mental health warrant uh, ward. Why? But whenever we got, well, because I was just out of my mind at this point. I was just, I couldn't find, you know, my family. I'd lost them somewhere and, and you know, had been threatened these guys was going to kill me. And so whenever we got to the jail, when the policemen got out and they were putting their gun belts in the back of the trunk, I thought they were putting a bomb in the trunk to kill me. So I really started losing it. I didn't know reality from, you know, from faith at that point at all. So you were paranoid. Yeah, exactly. Other than the two Hispanic guys had to have been real because my grandfather saw it in the spirit. Um, but I didn't know what was real and what wasn't real. In fact, for years, it haunted me because I would try to figure out what was real and what wasn't real. And it didn't matter. I never did figure it out. You know? So the psychologist came and interviewed me after I'd come down in jail. Like, OK, well, you're fine. <laughs> But um, on this ward, it was kind of scary because I was in there with these other women that truly were psychotic. Um, and that's back whenever you could smoke in the jail. And the only reason that I survived in there is I had real steady hands so I could roll their cigarettes and none of them were steady. And in fact, at medication time, they would start shaking so bad that it would sound like thunder because everything's metal in there. And they would start shaking so bad, needing their medicine so desperately. So it was kind of scary. <laughs> um, and as soon as we got out, I got a hold of the FBI agent and said, we have to leave. We're going to die if we stay here. So uh, she gave us permission to leave. I, I flushed the drugs that I took to jail with me <laughs> that were still in my purse. I flushed them and we hopped on a bus and went back to Washington State. Well, three weeks after we got back to Washington State, the lady that had her child that was hanging out with us was murdered in a park. So we would have been right there with her, but God got us out of there and saved us again. It seems like you were always in danger for some reason, but God's always spared you. Always. Yeah. The devil has just, all, he's tried so many times to kill me. That I don't it's even know. What I, Amen. I, it just won't work. So we made it back to Washington State and we were doing good and going to church and I got pregnant again. And again, I lasted not quite two years before I started getting high again. We had we had been in church and we were divorcing. So um, but I was still going to that church when my youngest son was three and he was abused by a man in the church. And that's what almost destroyed me you know and in fact that's you know in fact i saw that on your show that's one of the devil's tactics is you know if someone's got a big call in their life he's going to just he's going to try to destroy their kids because that's the best way to get to them that just about destroyed me and then so i quit i was working three jobs at the time i ended up quitting two of them and only kept the one that was delivering newspapers at night so i could keep him with me i actually had over 300 felonies 
that they were going to charge me with if I didn't plead out to like five different felonies. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll go to prison then. And whenever I went for the sentencing, they only sentenced me to 18 months on a drug offender sentencing, which automatically made it half time. And then with good time, I only served five and a half months. And my lawyer was like, this is not me. I could not, this is supernatural. And she didn't believe in the supernatural, but I was in there with people that had marijuana charges that were serving five and 10 years. And, you know, here I was with over 300 felonies serving five and a half months. <laughs> so did your husband use with you and did your kids know you were using? Um, my kids were still pretty young, so they didn't know what was going on. That was the only time my husband was drinking all the time. And he had used with me in Texas, but whenever we had in Washington the first time, but when we had gone back to Washington the second time, and we divorced, he wasn't using with me, but he was drinking all the time. Ever wanted the experience of attending a genuine royal ball? Well, here's your chance. Join Deep Believer Ministries for one of the grandest, most powerful events ever to solely honor King Jesus with a night with the King at the Broadmoor. Enjoy the magnificent grounds, accommodations, and fine dining of the five-star, five-diamond, exquisite Broadmoor Resort in Colorado Springs, Colorado. A Night with the King at the Broadmoor is a very royal, very formal three days, two nights conference that will provide you with hands-on training for true, Christian, supernatural living by renowned teachers and evangelists. This includes training in multiple areas of healing, deliverance, spiritual warfare, how to walk out the abundant Christian life, as well as how to obtain success in finances God's way. Then, for the royal evening, soak in the ambiance of white tablecloth gourmet dining, live brass and stringed instruments, acclaimed Christian singers and worshipers. And what's a royal ball without ballroom dancing? Don't know how? Complimentary ballroom dance lessons are included. A night with a king at the Broadmoor will be a night of complete honor and reverence to our King Jesus and will be like nothing you've possibly ever experienced. We hope to see you there for this stately, eventful night. Well, you know what? Question for you. I don't know if I asked this yet, but how did you start on drugs? What was the invitation to it? Yeah, so um, the the first time that I ever got high was, was um, my first husband and I, we were in Burger King parking lot and found a bag of marijuana on the ground. So that was the first time I ever got high. Um, and we had started drinking and someone had bought us some vodka just a few weeks before that. And then we found that marijuana and then it just escalated. Well, then whenever I was 22, I had a, a boyfriend that I just thought was all that. And he had an older woman friend and she told me, he really likes you unless you're drinking. And to me, I'm like, I'm not even a person unless I'm drunk. I would go to the clubs and drink two double Jack and Cokes before I could even say hi to anyone. And it really you know, messed me up. And she said, I tell you what, let's go to the club tonight. You're not going to drink. At the end of the night, I'm going to give you this $100 bill if you'll just get up and have fun and not drink. And I'm like, okay, I already had a skirt picked out. I was going to buy with it. And uh, so we went out and that was one of the hardest things that I had done up at that point was to get up and dance and have a good time. So right at that point, alcohol lost its hold over me. And I was sober for about a month. 
and I came home and then I ended up moving in with this lady and I came home one day and the house smelled really, really bad. What she had done was cooked a batch of meth and had spilt it and she was uh, temporarily blind. It, well, a week later, she actually got it right and I got high for the first time. Oh, man. So the same off of alcohol got me onto crystal meth. And how old were you at that point? At that point, I was 22. Wow. Okay. So fast forward again. Okay. So you miraculously got a short sentence of five months. You're out of mm -hmm. prison. Now what? And obviously you weren't using them in prison, right? Because I mean, they weren't sneaking right. stuff in where they were. I mean, they, people were, but I didn't have any desire to. Okay. So, um, but the closer that I got to getting out, the more, because while I was in there, of course, I was determined I wasn't going to use. I wrote this beautiful poetry about my kids getting out and teaching them to pray. And I meant every word of it. However, addiction is stronger than the love for your kids. And it took me a long time to figure that one out. That's how strong addiction is, you know. But as I got within a couple of weeks of actually getting to leave, and I got a hold of my dope man from prison. So I left. And you have to go straight to the parole office. Well, I went to the parole office. My parole officer wasn't there, so I was going to have to report back the next morning. I still went to the drug house next and picked up drugs and went home and got high. The next morning, I went back to the parole office high as a kite, but luckily he couldn't tell. But at that point, my mom had came and got my kids from their dad and had brought them back to Arkansas. So I was getting my parole transferred to Arkansas. So um, I get to Arkansas and I'm with my kids, but again, I only last a few weeks before I start getting high again. I had actually started going to Bible school with my mom right before I started getting high again. And I graduated Bible school and I was extremely high. This all worked together, you know, um, but it also shows that, you know, God loves you where you're at. You don't have to change, the, you know, he's still saved me and protected me and helped me with things, you know, and, and his kindness is what drew me back to him, you know, that protection he didn't, but nevertheless, I made it through Bible school and high as a kite, but made it through that. Um, and then I started cooking meth and I was running with, I was running with one guy who every time the police saw him, they would arrest him for something. So I got arrested four times and I just, I got off parole from Washington state to Arkansas, was off parole. Then I got arrested five times in one year. And after the fourth time, my probation officer comes to the jail and he's a really big man. He was like six foot five, probably 350 pounds, looks down at me and says, you're either going to prison or rehab. And I'm like, okay, let me try rehab. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went to rehab and it, it did make sense to me. That's why I kept moving across the country. I couldn't get clean because addiction is strong. And no matter where you go, there you are. So I was able to get off drugs. Well, I moved, I got out of rehab, lived in a chem free for three months. And the first weekend on my own, I was cooking a batch of dope. So I had my kids back. I was cooking dope. I was functioning, but I was also reading the purpose driven life and my Bible you know, um, so I decided I'm done with it after about three months, nothing happened in particular. It was just like, you know, I'm done with it. Well, the next week I started college and going to college helped keep me clean. 
it'd be like, I'd want to get high, but I couldn't schedule a day to come down or had a test here or something like that. And I stayed clean at that point for 11 and a half months. And I had a friend show up at three o'clock in the morning going, come on, you know, you want to. And she was right. I obviously did. That time it only took five days for my life to fall apart. So after that, I was convinced no matter what, I didn't want to get high. So I kept going back to college until I ended up with two master's degrees. <laughs> but I stayed clean. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, I want to ask you real quick, though. You mentioned that you were using and reading the Bible at the mm -hmm. same time. Was there a conviction there? Why were you doing drugs and reading the Bible simultaneously? Because I was so hungry for God, but I didn't know how to get off the drugs. You know, I mean, I knew how to get off of them. You know, I'd gone through rehab, but I, you know, that still was my normal. It's all I knew, but I was so hungry for God. Mm. So that part of what your parents taught you never left you. So you knew you had a problem. You wanted to get it off. Did you feel like by you reading the Bible and you're high that that would help um, rid the addiction? I was hoping that it would, you know, and I had, whenever that had happened to my youngest child, um, I told God to F off. I was done with him. I didn't want anything to do with him. And, you know, he loved me back. I actually went to church with some people right before I went to prison. And it was so hard for me to be in that church. And I was, and I went, and I went down to the basement. And I was like, God, you're not even here. And my oldest son was really intrigued with, with fluorescent lights. It was as if he said, I didn't audibly hear him at this point, but it was like, he said, Hey, I'm over here. And I looked at those fluorescent lights and it just melted me. And so after that, and that was even before I went to prison, I was like, you know, okay, God, I want you back in my life. Amen. So even though I was still extremely messed up and using all the time, you know, I was, I was also in communication with him. It was kind of warped. I would thank him for protecting me while I was cooking dope. <laughs> and so how did uh, you get out of it? How did you get delivered from drugs altogether? I, I kind of did it what I call the hard way. So I was going to college. I was going to meetings all the time. I was going to AANA, Celebrate Recovery, doing everything. And, and eventually it just got to where it's, it's like, look, you know, like play the tape forward. If I got high again, I knew where it would, would have landed me. So it was kind of that. So, and I can compare that to when I got delivered from vaping. There's a difference in deliverance and walking it out the hard way. So, like I said, I did it the hard way coming off of drugs, but in May of 2021, um, I went to see this man speak who was a deliverance minister. And his name is Nelson Schumann, and he's my mentor, him and Mindy. Shout out to them. But I went to listen um, to him, and he was asking. So I listened for the whole two days and really enjoyed this, the the um conference that he had and at the end of it the very last thing he said he goes so is there anyone that wants to get delivered from smoking and he looks right at me and says or vaping and I was like and I was teasing Holy Spirit about it the day before I was like you know uh, it's like it came up and and on the way home from the first day of meeting um okay so you know that you would have to give me a big desire to quit and you know that's not going to happen ha 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 so I'm just laughing, you know, and so, but the next day he had talked about it being an idol before God. 
And I was like, you know, I don't want any idols before God, because at this point, I'm so close with God. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. So the way that he does his ministry um, is he has you, he has Jesus come and speak to you about it like the first time, in this case, the first time that, you know, that I smoked. And all of a sudden, I remember the girl in fifth grade, the very first time I smoked a cigarette. Then I remembered um, how I how I'd started vaping, you know, and that instance was brought up into my mind and I'm like, okay. And so then he prays for God to detach the soul wound from the wound and then prays deliverance over it. And I was so addicted to vaping at that point that I, my dad was in the end stages of life and I leave to live two blocks from him. And my mom had called one day and said, he's falling, he's on the floor. Can you come help? I had to get my vape, fill it up, smoke, a hundred pots before I went in their house, you know, what should have taken me 30 seconds to get there. took me 10 minutes to get in there and help. That's addiction. In fact, on the way to that meeting, I was probably hitting it every 30 seconds to a minute. Whenever I left that meeting, I went out to the car and I picked it up and I looked at it and I'm like, you know what? Just try it. In fact, after he said a prayer, I was like, that didn't do nothing. But I got out to the car and I picked up the vape and I was looked at it and I was like, you know, just try it. You know you're going to hit it before you hit the before you get out of the parking lot. You know you're going to hit it before you get it to the road. You know you're going to hit it before you get to the freeway. And I was headed to my church in another town. You know you're going to hit it before you get to that church. And whenever I got to church and hadn't hit it, I knew I was instantly delivered. Amen. And so, so powerful to have that instant deliverance as opposed to walking it out the hard way. Well, you know what, Sherry? It's amazing how you said that once. The minister prayed for you. You said, that didn't do anything. You didn't right. feel anything at the time, but you felt the result. Absolutely. Did it seem like a powerful prayer, even though it was, because it was effective. Did it seem like a powerful prayer? Or did it just seem like an ordinary prayer? Seemed like an ordinary prayer. I had, I, I couldn't believe that it worked, you know? Sherry, so he prayed for you. When he prayed for you, he prayed to separate the soul wound from the wound. Could you explain that for those who may not understand that? Yeah, so um, whenever you're, whenever you get hurt, whether even, even as far back as being in the womb, a spirit of rejection, you know, your, your parents don't want you. They want a boy instead of a girl or what, whatever it may be. Um, and then as you're growing older, you know, even your parents can say something and not mean anything bad by it, but it can hurt you. And immediately demons go to work, whispering in your ears, trying to make you hurt and feel that hurt, rejection and resentment. What causes wounds to your soul? And they just get stronger and stronger and stronger and have more of a stronghold over you as time goes on. That's why he, in this case, he had Jesus come and, and talk to me about, you know, the first time that I'd smoked even that so that I could look at the person who introduced me to it and truly forgive them for what they had done. And so that separated the, you know, and then he prayed to separate that soul one from the soul. That way I was able to see what the one was. I was able to see what that person was going through whenever she offered it to me. Uh, she was in a really, she had a hard life. Had a, and so it was just, 
a way of opening my eyes and separating. And that's how the enemy has a hold of us is from those soul wounds. And later on, whenever I did another session with Nelson and we were going over the man that had abused me, the cousin that had abused me. And he had Jesus come and show me what he was going through at the time. You know, he was a teenager, what he had gone through. And he also had Jesus come and show me what my parents were going through at the time. And that was really powerful because to know what they were going through kind of took the pressure in my mind, kind of took the pressure off of them. Why didn't I know? Why didn't they help? Why did you know? Why, 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 why? And, and separated that soul wound. So that way I was able to look at what they were going through and totally 100% forgive them. And then he separated that soul wound and cast it away. And then I got a, a complete healed soul. Amen. Amen to that. And that's knowledge and wisdom for those who may never have heard of that before. Yeah. All right. So what would you say really quickly, if there's youth watching right now, because I mean, you said you smoke your first cigarette in fifth grade. What would you say to those youth right now or the youth right now who are contemplating having a drink or smoking or even doing drugs, what would you say to them having experienced everything you experienced? That is a trick that it's, it's, you know, it seems all fun and games at first. And a lot of times it is fun at first, you know, obviously the devil wouldn't be able to trap you into it if it wasn't fun. And now the devil has a stronghold on you know, that, oh, it looks cool to smoke. It looks, you know, if you're going to be cool, then you got to do this. You got to do that. But it's a trap and it's a trap. It's an, you know, people call Satan dumb and they call his demons dumb. Well, they're not. They've been around since the beginning of our time. You know, they had thousands of years of experience and they know how to control and manipulate. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. You know, if, if they're dumb, he wouldn't have needed to die. We could have outsmarted them ourselves. So I would say don't do it, but it is definitely a trap. Amen to that. Amen to that. So kids, no drinking, no smoking, no drugs in Jesus mm -hmm. name. All right. So, right. <laughs> so tell us about the time when you were miscarrying and your brother saw you from Africa. Okay. So I was um, 25 years old and had been on drugs, but got pregnant and had, and, you know, it was kind of too little too late. Um, and I had gone to the doctor and they would, he was like, we just need to do a DNC. You're not going to be able to carry this baby. You know, he's not going to make it. He or she, you know, the baby's not going to make it. Well, I refused to accept that and went back home. And three days later, started um had a miscarriage and bled out heavily went to the doctor and he's yelling at me before he puts me under the dude to do the procedure saying i told you you needed to do this you know and just talking to me like i was dirt well he let he sent me away without doing any follow-up care without blood transfusions or and i lied to him he asked me how much blood i'd lost well he was yelling at me so i lied to him so but Nevertheless, I left there and went to the drug house and got drugs and went home and started using drugs. Well, three days later, I knew I was going to die. I, my bones were like 
felt like nothing was in between the bones. It was like they were sinking into themselves. It was just a, such a strong spirit of death. And I was very malnourished and had, you know, lost all that blood, then stayed up for those three days and didn't eat for those three days. And so I knew I was going to die. I literally lay down in the middle of the living room floor and actually had some flowers. And I was holding this bouquet of flowers laying down and I was just going to lay there and die. Well, my brother was a missionary in Africa at the time. And he saw me in a greenhouse and he saw an angel, a death angel on the roof and started interceding over me. Well, at that time, my husband, he saw or he heard footsteps on the roof. So he goes in his mom's kitchen and she had some of those great big wooden spoons, like three foot tall wooden spoons. He grabs one of those runs out to hurt whoever's on the roof well he gets out there he doesn't see anyone but it had just snowed and there were footprints that looked like someone had jumped off of the roof and ran out of the yard so of course we're just thinking that you know someone was on the roof and ran away but my brother you know confirmed it was a death angel and so my mom called me a couple hours later to make sure I was okay. But immediately after my after that happened, I started feeling better. And by the, time, by the time my mom called, I was able to sit up and feeling all right again and stuff. Wow. So at the time, really quickly, where did you get flowers from? So did you prepare to die? Because you said you had a bouquet of flowers and just laid on the floor. Yeah. Wow. I don't know why we had flowers because it was in the middle of winter, but we had a bouquet of flowers. Wow. So yeah. And I don't know if, if maybe someone had given them to me because of the miscarriage. I don't remember why they were there, but they were there. Wow. And then at the same time, while you're on the floor, your brother's seeing in a vision, a death angel on your roof. And he didn't know that your house was green, right? Because your house was green. Right. We had, we lived in a greenhouse and he saw me in a green colored house and described what the house looked like to me later. And then you saw footprints. So this was, I guess, a death angel that came in the spiritual and the physical because you saw footprints where that was the evidence. I guess the Lord wanted you to see the evidence. And then right. you were healed. So did your brother and mother pray for you during that time? Do you know? Is well, you def definitely my brother did. And then he called, you know, my mom and they prayed together. And then she called me and she prayed with me, you know, but I was always so, I was already so much better by the time she called. Praise God. Praise God. And then how about the time when you said you were singing to the Lord and you heard him back? What happened? <laughs> so I had actually been at one of Nelson's meetings in Hot Springs um, and I was in the glory of God was just so strong. And there's a song by Elevation Worship called The Water is Wild. And there's one part of it where he says, and I heard my father say, this is my child. And when it got to that part, it was like, God, I want to hear you say that. So whenever it was, this is, all I heard was him say, this is, and it was so loud and thunderous and baritone. It shook the whole car and I jumped. I felt like I jumped down. Myself. You know, I, I jumped and he started laughing so hard. He had the biggest belly laugh. It was so amazing. So it was like, you know, I couldn't handle hearing him say it, but I heard this is. <laughs> so was it Jesus? Because I usually hear 
when Jesus laughs, I've never heard him laugh before, but I've heard when he laughs, it's always a belly laugh. So do you believe it was Jesus who was speaking back to you? I believe it was God because in the song, it says, I heard my father say, this is my child. Yeah. And, and so, and I told, I said, God, I want to hear you say that. (laughs) And then he tried to say it and I couldn't handle it. It was loud. (laughs) Wow. So what does it sound like? It was, it was a beautiful baritone, but it was very powerful. It was so powerful that it, it felt like it shook the windows in my vehicle, you know? Mm. Um, So tell us about the time when, and we were talking about dancing. Let's talk about that real quick. So you danced with Jesus and you danced with angels. Tell us about that. Okay. So I went to this meeting in Hot Springs where the lady that hosts this meetings, she calls herself a glory carrier. And that's the perfect description for it. So just whenever you get there, it's, you feel the Holy Spirit like you like nowhere else. And most of the time, most of the time she doesn't even speak, you know, uh, doesn't get a chance to speak because the glory is just so strong. So I was dancing and it was um, like an angel come up and said, do you want to dance with me? And it was like, I was dancing with someone. I was holding them like this and had my arms up like this. And we were just dancing and twirling and carrying on and giggling. And then I went back another time and Holy Spirit was like, dance with me. And I knew it was Holy Spirit. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And so we danced and danced and, um, and I just knew it was Holy Spirit. Well, then just a couple of weeks ago, I was in my bedroom and I was just worshiping God, listening to my music. And I was like, you know, Jesus, I want to dance with you, you know? And I immediately felt it was like I felt him grab me and I, it almost felt like my feet twirled up in the air. I don't know if they did or not, but it was the most encompassing feeling. It was like a big old blanket almost. And the, and just a, and I can only handle it for a couple of seconds. It was so strong that my legs just gave out from underneath me, you know, and it wasn't like I was slain in the spirit. It was just like I had no strength to stand on my own anymore. And I was like, wow, that was, you know, and another cool thing about that same day. So I'm on the floor and at this point, I'm just speaking in tongues and I keep repeating this one phrase. And so I decide I'm going to record it and I recorded it um, just because it was, and I've heard, I've heard that phrase come out of me before. So the next day or so, I'm like, you know, I'm going to put that into Google Translator and see what happens. So in Google Translator, you have to choose what language that it's coming from. And so I'm like, you know, maybe it's Arabic. That's what Jesus spoke. So I said Arabic, and I put that phrase in there. And it translates to, oh, God, you are high. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was just more proof. Uh, yes, I danced with Jesus and I went straight into that prayer language saying, oh, God, you are high. Amen. So cool. <laughs> wow. So how about the time when you saw your father and sisters? Was it both your sisters or a brother and a sister? His sister. Okay. It was his. So what happened? Okay. So I was at church and Everybody in church was like drunk. This was just in 2021. And my dad had just passed away a couple of months before that. And um, 
I'm kind of laying over on the chairs and I'm just, you know, my mind's always going. So I'm just asking God about the streets of gold. And I'm like, cause you know, I've heard that people just go where they want to in heaven. They don't necessarily have to walk or whatever. So why are there streets of gold? Are they actually used? And all of a sudden he showed me three pairs of feet. And my dad had wore size 14. So you can't really not recognize his feet. <laughs> Even though they look better than, you know, when he was 80 and passed away. But there were three pa pairs of feet dancing, one of them being my dad. And then both of his sisters had passed away the year before. And I knew that it was all three of their feet. And they were dancing with rhythm on the streets of gold. So they had rhythm. And my dad couldn't have danced his way out of a paper bag, but he could dance in heaven. Wow. So you have rhythm. And so if you don't know how to dance on earth, you know how to dance in heaven. Heaven, yes. Wow. So what was it you mentioned to me earlier about the gold streets? What did you ask Jesus? You asked God something about the streets of gold. If they actually use this, you know, why do they have streets of gold if people can just, you know, teleport or whatever, you know, I don't know the correct term for it. If they can just go from one place to the other without having to walk or whatever, why do they need streets? Or do they actually even use them? And then he showed me their feet dancing on the streets. So was it a vision that you had or what was it? Yeah, it was a vision. Wow. And it was their feet in the streets. I couldn't see anything else. But Amazing. Amazing. Well, you know what, Sherry, I want you to tell us about your book, A to J Deep Recovery. Okay. So it's so a long time ago. Well, when I had been clean for 14 years, this was in 2019. I was clean, but I was like at my mental bottom. I was so... I had had surgery on my jaw. He had done a bunch of nerve damage, which you can see when I talk and stuff. I was in pain. My youngest son was off being a Marine. I was going to, to work and I was working with prisoners out of a reentry center. So I looked like everything was good, but I would go home and just isolate. And I was so depressed. And so I started working from home. And, and even more isolation, more depression. And I actually started... Um, and I lost my second job of working with those guys. I was able to work for the college at home, but I wasn't able to work for the reentry center. So I was just, you know, at, at my mental bottom. And one day I accidentally watched Joyce Meyer. And then I started accidentally watching her every day. Then I started recording it. Then I started binge watching. So I was watching her for 12 to 14 hours a day sometimes. And I, you know, it was working and just had her on in the background. Well, whenever I lost my second job, I didn't have enough money to buy groceries. And I started stealing more than half of my groceries. And she kept saying, if you have God, if you, you know, if you have the spirit of God, you're not going to continue in sin. Well, for the first of my life, I didn't take it as condemnation or any I had so many issues to work on and I was at such a bottom that I just didn't let it bother me I just kept telling myself if I'll just keep listening to her something's going to change and then she started making me realize that every time that I had gotten close to God I would try to figure out the big picture what's my purpose it was always a big overwhelming thing and, but I would only, you know, it's like, okay, I need to change all this. I'm going to start with this right here. Well, she was making me realize I needed to change absolutely everything. And I was like, okay, all right. 
So in March of 2021, I became willing, 100% willing to change everything. Didn't know how I was going to do it. Didn't know how I was going to pay for groceries even, you know, but I became willing to. Um, and that's what I call when I started going steady with Jesus. Well, then I ended up going to a Holy Ghost church right after that. And um, there was this apostle lady, shout out to Allison Dunstan, um, who prophesied over me and said, go home and write. Do not procrastinate. Go home and write. And I'm like, okay. So I went home and I immediately figured out that I wanted to write like a new recovery program because all the other recovery programs that I've been part of never had anything to do with Holy Spirit or deliverance. And that's what they were missing. And to me, it's kind of shooting yourself in the foot if you're starting off by saying, hey, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict, you know, or what, that's not my identity anymore. And I'm not going to say that it is ever again, <laughs> you know, um, that is not my identity. So, um, so I went home and I started writing and I come up and I've got 16 steps to it. Um, and then went through some deliverances after that. And I got to tell you about this one deliverance. I told you about the vaping deliverance, but there was one deliverance that was the most, uh, the one that manifested the, the most. So this Holy Ghost church I was going to, um, we were praying for this lady. And we had Friday night fire services there and fire is the only way to describe them. We were praying for this lady. And that night, as soon as we left the church, I immediately started having like I hadn't cussed or anything like that. And in my head, I was cussing in my head. Didn't want anything to do with the pastors. I went out to eat after church. I didn't I couldn't even look at them. And so for two weeks, I kind of hid out from everyone. And I knew I needed deliverance. And I knew that religion would tell me that those demons came out of her and into me, but I knew that wasn't the case. It couldn't be the case, you know, uh, but that's what I'd heard my whole life. Um, if someone does have demons and you pray for them, you better be careful because they'll come into you. So I knew that wasn't it, but I knew I needed deliverance. Well, I went back a couple of weeks later and they started praying deliverance over me and it was, you know, I mean, I was spitting up and carrying on. And then um, Sister Tracy comes over and she starts praying over me. And I go limp. And it, it appeared as if I'd been slain in the spirit. But that's a demonic trick. Demons trick people to make them think that they're slain. So they think that they left. You know, so at that point, everybody's clapping and carrying on. And I'm like, okay. But I could tell it wasn't slain in the spirit, but I couldn't do anything. And she goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh you're not going to play that game with me. So thank God she knew what she was doing. And she said, you raise up and look at me. And so I sat up and I, and at that point I felt my eyes turned black. And it was like they turned, I know what it looks like from the outside when I'm looking at someone with demons, but from the inside, it looked like someone was standing in front of a window and I was trying to look out of it and I was trying to move the curtains and look around them at the same time. And I just couldn't see clearly. And that's because the demons were completely taken over. And so she's talking to them. Well, at that point, they start talking inside my head and I can hear them talking. And one of them, there was two of them, two main ones. One of them was molestation and one of them was bipolar. 
and bipolar goes, huh, and they know they're getting cast out. So they're not trying to hide from me anymore. Bipolar goes, well, just remind her she's bipolar and she won't believe any of this happened. <laughs> and they're just carrying on. And she keeps asking them questions. Well, they won't let me speak, but they're talking inside my head. And then like, you know, what legal rights do you have to her? And they're like, we have owned her since she was seven years old. And that was when I told they were, there was a difference between the fondling and going all the way when I was six and seven. That when that happened at age seven is when they were able to enter and they had been there that whole time. And that's when they had caused me so many problems my whole life. And in fact, when I first started going to study with Jesus, I was bipolar, had insomnia. I was on 11 different medications, five of them controlled. And so they had just been having, you know, a heyday. And so I knew that that's where they had, you know, gained entrance. And then she told me, she said, um, cause it was taken a long time. So she got some water and put some anointing oil in it. And she goes, take some of it, drink some of this. It's going to refresh you, but it's going to burn them. And I took a drink and I could feel them like a pinball machine inside of me, bouncing off the insides of me. And they were running from it and they were screaming. I could hear them screaming. And so she gets, and she's literally like pulling. She's got a hold of something and pulling it out of me. And I can feel it coming up. I can feel it letting go of the different parts of my insides. And it gets to right here. And she goes, you got to do the rest. And so she lit, and I can feel whatever it is that she hands me. And I'm pulling with everything I have in my arms like this, trying to pull and pull those things out. And I, whenever I pull them out, I threw them on the ground and stomped on them, you know, and that's how strong deliverance is. And that's why that drug addicts and everyone else, you know, has such a hard time handling things, you know? So that was like my major deliverance. Um, and in fact, my first deliverance was over YouTube. I was watching a rerun of Daniel Adams and I heard he was doing a Zoom call with someone and she kind of had the same story as me. And I just raised my hand and said, I want whatever she's getting. And I started heaving and carrying on for about 30 minutes. And uh, that was my first deliverance. Wow. But uh, in the beginning, all I would do is watch Joyce Meyer. And then I started watching Isaiah Saldivar. And then I was still very, very careful. So I watched Isaiah, Vlad, Alexander Pagani and daniel adams the whole that team. was my yeah that was, yeah demon slayer team <laughs> right um and so i was learning everything i could about deliverance and holy spirit and so that's how i ended up writing my book and i actually wrote a poem about holy spirit that he's my best friend and that deliverance that i had was after writing that poem and there's no one who can read that poem and believe for one second that I was not a Christian. So yes, Christians did have demons. Wow. You know, wow. and they had laid dormant in me for, you know, 50 years. So do you believe that what happened to you as a child was the effects of the mental disorders too with the bipolar and all that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so today I'm not a, I'm completely off of medications. I am no longer I no longer have insomnia. I am completely delivered and healed. Tell everyone once again how you got delivered from all of that mess. 
was from those demons being pulled out. And then it was also walking out to get off of all the medications. Um, and of course, my doctor wasn't real happy with me because some of them, I would just feel it and I would just put them cold turkey, like the bipolar medication and stuff. One of the hardest ones to get off of, though, was the um, Ambien that's for sleep for the insomnia. Oh my goodness, I was cutting, I ended up cutting those pills into eights and taking an eighth of a little bitty pill because I still couldn't go to sleep without it, which just shows a stronghold because there's no way that much of anything can do anything for you. Uh, so that one, just, you know, by reading the word at night before I went to bed, um, but, you know, it was literally, and it was also, you know, claiming that, hey, I was delivered from you. I don't need this anymore. I don't need this anymore. And then the the last thing that I came off of was in March of this year, which was um, Adderall, you know, for ADHD. And it's like, you know, I knew I had been healed of it and delivered from it, but the medications themselves have lingering physical addictions, you know, and so I actually got the flu and was like, you know, this is the perfect time. I'm just going off of it cold turkey. <laughs> so, so what does um, A to J stand for? Because it's called A to J. Deep okay, so originally in my mind, it was for Addicted to Jesus. Back in, uh, I think it was the 90s, Carmen had a song, Addicted to Jesus, and his video was so cool. It was like A to J. And so that was always kind of my thing. But I had come up with a company a few years ago and called it Alternatives to Gel because I was trying to help people get sentenced into rehabs instead of gel. But as I began writing the book, um, the Holy Spirit told me and said it's according to Jesus because it's literally a program that Holy Spirit brought me from Jesus, from heaven. And it's about more than recovery. It's also about, you know, abundant life because Jesus died to give us abundant life. He didn't. And, you know, whenever I was at my middle bottom, even though I looked okay, I wasn't living abundantly. You know, I mean, I, I was, you know, a Christian, but there was no abundant life there. So this book not only teaches how to, you know, the, the, the steps to get off drugs, but it's also how to learn how to live abundantly how to worship you know how to because people i don't think they know like i told you i you know i know how to worship i know how to get into the holy of holies and it, it was in my isolation that i found that you know in 2020 when i was still isolated i was i went from being depressed isolated to revival in my room isolated <laughs> and and so you know people like the few songs that I found, like there's one song called I See the Lord by um, Lindell Cooley. And he was the guy that uh, did the worship in the Brownsville revivals back in the 90s. And that song was one of the first songs that I heard whenever I was going steady with Jesus. And then also that was a song that I was singing over my dad whenever I know he went to heaven, even though he didn't die until the next day. And so every time I hear that song, it reminds me of me and Jesus, our first date, basically, <laughs> and my dad going to heaven. So every time I hear that song, it brings back all of that, just like the water of wild lets me hear God's voice every single time. And that's why music is so powerful. That's why we have to be careful about what music we do listen to, because I can listen to a song that I listen to in the world, and it immediately takes me back there. And that's not a good place for me to be. You know, you have to be so careful 
but you can also do that with your worship music and a music to glorify God. And that's how you learn how to build your, your music kind of, you know, library with God. You find those songs that speak to you. And then they speak to you later on about what you were going through whenever you first fell in love with that song. <laughs> so, that's so good. the book about more than just staying clean. It's about living abundantly. So if anyone wanted to buy your book, where can they find it? It is on, on Amazon. So here is what it looks like. Beautiful. Thank you. And that's my Holy Spirit. So he wears sunglasses. I was going to ask you, are those sunglasses on that bird? But it is. So this is my Holy Spirit. That's because he's so cool. Amen. So when I first started going steady with Jesus and I was spending time talking to the Holy Spirit all the time, all I could ever say is, you're so cool. You were so cool. You were so, so fun. that's why I ended up writing that poem about him because I had to come up with something more than he's so cool. So whenever I was, I first drew the picture, um, you know, myself. And so I drew this picture of a dove. He goes, now put sunglasses on me. I was like, what? He goes, cause I am cool. He says, I have a sense of humor. People don't know it because they're so afraid of blaspheming me. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Again, that's all I can ever end up saying. <laughs> well, you know what, Sherry, could you do us a favor? Could you pray for people right now who are going through stuff, who are struggling right now, but yeah. they still feel the Lord calling them, but maybe they feel unworthy um, and they want to have the experiences you have, even when you were doing things you weren't supposed to be doing. The Lord was still with you. He still had his angels protecting you. He still uh, provided for you and your children and your family, just protecting you and keeping you and speaking to you. Could you pray for those people who are hungry for the Lord, but they're battling and they want to be free? Oh, I would love to. All right. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, your kindness is so amazing. And how and why you love us is so far beyond our comprehension, but you do. You do, and you have a plan for us. You, your plan is that none of us would perish, God. And there are so many people that are out there that are stuck in addictions, um, which is what I came out of, but in so many other things, even stuck with a bipolar and so many other things, and they're stuck, and I know that feeling, but there is a way out, and you're it. And God, I just ask that you show their kindness to them, Lord, that you just come into, you just send workers across their path, Lord, and you just let them know that you love them and that they are worthy, not because of anything that they've done, because they could never be worthy, but because you sent your son, Jesus, to die for them. And you have a plan for them and you want to use them and you want to love them and you want to help them. And, and the ripple effect of people that they can is just multi-millions of people that you want to reach through them, Lord. So I just ask that every single person that's feeling that lost, abandonment, hopeless, Lord, that you reach out and let them know that they are not alone, that you are there for them, Lord. Lord, just teach them that all they have to do is call out to you. They can just say, you know, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, show me. If you are, I'll do anything. 100%, not 99.9. And that's that's all you that's all you need is one little open door because there's an old saying you you give an inch they'll take a foot you know take a mile we'll give you an inch and you'll take 500 miles in a good way and we thank you that you're able to do that and that you're able and willing and you want to just like the leper if you're willing well we know you're willing and i thank you for that and i thank you for blessing all these people lord 
in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sherry Mwasau, thank you so much for sharing your testimony. I said your name right. Yay. Cool. <laughs> and um, I just, I appreciate you being on the show and encouraging a whole lot of people building their faith because we're in hard times right now and people are going through. So I really appreciate you reaching out to us to share your testimony. My pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like to be born again and give your life to Jesus Christ today, pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and am lost without you. I'm convinced that you're my only saving grace and my only hope. No longer do I want to do life without you. I believe that you came to earth to die on the cross for my sins, rose from the dead three days later, and are coming back for me one day soon. Please come into my heart and be my Lord, Savior, and friend. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, get yourself a Bible and read it daily and ask God to interpret every word for you. Then surround yourself with like-minded believers in Jesus Christ. Congratulations and welcome to the family.